0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, it is great to see you guys here today. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Romans chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be there in just a moment. Um, but for those of you who might be new, we've been in a series entitled Our House talking about how we can build our house upon the rock. Uh, we looked at what Jesus said um, early on in the Gospels that uh, if you are the man that hears what Jesus says and then goes and and does the things that He commands us to do, then we are indeed the person that uh, is building our house upon the rock, upon His principles. And so We've been looking at ways that you and I become a Christ-centered family, not just a, a Christian in name, as if uh, we, were, we were part of a, a cultural Christianity, but that you and I would, would actually uh, have our families focused and centered upon Jesus. And so what does that look like? And, and today I wanted to just finish and close out the series by talking about how, how you and I can bring peace into our homes uh, because the reality is there are a, a, a lot of people, a lot of homes here today that would say our home is not characterized by peace. Our house is characterized by conflict and tension. And so there, there, are, there are fighting, there's tension, there's, there's just a lot of uh, heat in, in the house. And so what do we do with that and, and how do we uh, recover from that? And, and, and what does God's word say about that? That's where we want to be at. I know what a lot of people initially say when we talk about conflict in the home or tension and and our first response is, well, it's not my fault. It's her fault or it's their fault. And so, you know, that and a lot of times that can be true because let's just be honest there. There's at least one crazy person in your family, right? There's at least one psycho in your family. Let's just be honest. It's either in your immediate family or your extended family. There's at least one crazy person you're thinking of him or her right now let me just prove it right now how many of you would say there's at least one crazy person in my family would you show your hands lift them up high leave them up all over the room leave them up hands all over the place now there's a crazy person in every family so if your hand is not up you're it right you're the crazy person so that is the one truth that you learned today at church, that you're the crazy one. No, I don't know where the tension is in your home. Uh, I don't know where that is for you. Maybe it's in the fact that um, maybe, you know, you're trying to par- parent your children and your mom keeps looking over your shoulder telling you how to do it. And, and there's just tension there. And you're like, leave me alone, mom. They're my kids. I don't know if the tension for you maybe is—is is your kids just tend to fight all the time, and there's, they're they're just at each other, and you're exhausted every day because brothers and sisters are fighting, and and there's all kinds of yelling going on, and you just there, there's just tension there. Maybe there's tension because you're in a blended family, and so there's my kids, there's your kids, and then there's our kids, and then there's exes involved. And, and you're like, how in the world can I you know, get to a place where we have peace in our family with all of these moving parts? And so there's a lot of complications. Maybe uh, there in, in your life, there's, there's something that has taken place between you and your mom and dad, and you've never really forgiven them for whatever that was. And so there's just this tension between your parents and yourself. And, and so there's all kinds of conflict. Maybe you're a, a kid or maybe you're a teenager and the conflict for you is that you're, you just feel like your parents don't trust you. And so you're like, mom and dad, they don't trust me and they're just smothering me to death and... We could come up with all kinds of examples today about how we might be experiencing tension in our families today. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to look at some words that that Jesus makes and then go into uh, a few different scriptures to really help us uh, begin to establish what I believe Jesus would want us to experience in our home. And that is ultimate peace with our relationships, but also peace within our own heart. Take a look at the screen, and here's the first verse that we'll look at. It's Matthew 5, 9, and Jesus says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be uh, called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, in the New Testament, the New Testament was written in Greek, and so the Greek word for peace is the word Irene. It's where we get our name Irene, and it means peace, and and we we understand what that means. But kind of in the English language, we don't really fully uh, grasp what that word or what Jesus would have intended that word to mean. For us, peace is just the absence of, of fighting or the absence of conflict. But for Jesus, he would have been more familiar with the Hebrew word because that's what he spoke. He spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. And, and so Jesus would ha- have understood that word uh, as shalom. And you guys have heard that word before. But, but shalom was not just this idea that there, there wasn't any conflict in your home or conflict in your life, but it had a, a, a broader meaning. And it was it was like this blessing that, that if someone were to say, you know, peace be with you, and Jesus said that time and time again, like, like, peace be with you, meant that I, w- I am blessing your home to, to, yes, have the absence of conflict, but, but also the absence of anything bad, and also that you would have the highest good. And so it, it, would have, it would have encapsulated all of that meaning, like the absence of conflict, the absence of bad, but also I want to bless you with the highest good, and it would have entailed all of that. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he meant that he wanted us to experience the, the absence of bad and, and this presence of the ultimate and highest good in our heart and in our life. And so that's, that's huge when we think about what he actually wants us to experience and, and actually what we can experience if we follow and trust him. So one of the things we wanna realize is that he doesn't say, blessed are the peace keepers, because there is a difference between a peace keeper in a peacemaker. Let me talk about that for just a moment. If you're taking notes, what is a peacekeeper? A peacekeeper is someone that avoids conflict to keep the image of peace. Now that word image is important. Because a peacekeeper will avoid conflict, they'll avoid the tough conversation, they'll avoid all of these things to allow everyone to have the appearance or the image that there is peace in the home. So let's sit down as a family and let's have dinner, even though we can't stand each other, even though there's a pink elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. There's tension. We know something's going on, but we don't want to dare talk about it or dare go there. Let's just keep the peace and thereby avoiding all those hard conversations. And we give the image of peace. It's not peace, but it's the image of peace. Now the ultimate like heart and sin of a peacekeeper is idolatry. Because if we're not going to talk about the difficult things or talk about ways that somebody offended us or hurt us or talk about the problems that are going on in our family or in our marriage, what we are saying is I am more concerned about what you are going to say. I'm more concerned about what your response is going to be more so than I am following and trusting God's plan for my life. So ultimately, I'm bowing down and worshiping myself and I'm worshiping other people because I'm more concerned about what they would say more so than what God would say. God would call us to make peace, not just keep the peace. And, and a, a peacekeeper doesn't truly have peace. It's only the image. Now, what is a peace? Maker. What does a peacemaker do? Well, a peacemaker, if you're taking notes, will embrace conflict to create the peace. So a peacemaker has to embrace a certain amount of tension, a certain amount of conflict, in order to create ultimate peace. And So here, here are some of the things that we have to embrace— We've got to be able to do, to embrace the fact that when we're offended or that when we're hurt, then that is important enough for us to communicate and to share that with someone else. It's important that we not only communicate it, but that we work through the issues, not around the issues. You know, because so often we work around the issues when we blame and, and argue and fight. And, and, and especially with our kids and even with our spouse, we work around the issues instead of what the issue is. And so a peacemaker is going to embrace the conflict. They're going to talk about the, the, the pink elephant in the room. They're going to talk about the hard things. Why? Because Jesus is calling us to be peacemakers, not peacemakers. Peacekeepers. And ultimately, the reason why we want to do this is because we want to have a Christ centered home. We want to build our home upon the rock. We don't want to just be Christians in name. We don't want to be a cultural Christian that we've talked about. 80% of Americans call themselves Christians. We know that that is not because they are Christ centered homes, it's just because they have adopted a name or they want to go to heaven, so they call themselves something. But a Christ-centered home is is a home that is fully devoted and built upon the principles of God's word. And so that's what we're after. And if that is in fact what we're after, then we must begin to embrace what it means to make peace. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 16 uh, through 19. These are great words. In verse 16, it says, Live in harmony with one another. That means live in peace with one another. That means live in peace with your spouse. Not, not the idea of peace, but actual peace. Not the image of peace, but actual harmony, okay? Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. In other words, don't feel like you're better than other people. Don't feel like you're, you're too good for your spouse or, you, you know, you're too good for your parents. You know, you have more money than someone else and so you're better than them. He says, no, don't think you're too good for them to, to associate with other people. He says, never be wise in your own sight. In other words, don't think you're Mr. Smarty Pants. Don't think that you have all the answers. Please don't think that you're right all the time. You know, nobody is right all the time, but some of us act like we're always right and our spouse is the one that is failing, right? And so he says, never be wise in your own sight. And then listen, verse 17, he says, repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So we love to get revenge, don't we? Somebody hurts us, boom, hurt you back. You have a one-liner that offends me, I got one. I'm quick witted. I'm right back at you. And so we'll get in a match of where we can, you know, condemn each other, we can make fun of each other, we can point fingers at each other. And so we get into this revenge mode. Somebody hurts us, so maybe it's not with our words that we're gonna hurt them, but we're gonna do what we call stonewall. So I ain't gonna talk to you. I'm gonna give you the cold shoulder, I'm not gonna talk to you, I'm gonna pretend like you don't exist, and so sometimes we do that, sometimes we you know just repent you know, we just kind of go into our shell, and, and I don't know what your tendency is, but when somebody hurts you, everybody in this room has a tendency. Maybe your tendency is to get loud and mean, or maybe your tendency is to get reserved and, and isolate yourself, or somewhere in between. Everyone has that tendency, and here's what the Word of God says, repay no evil for evil. In other words, When somebody hurts you, when somebody offends you, don't repay them by isolating or getting loud and mean. Don't do that. Instead, do what is honorable in the sight of all. So we're going to talk about what it means to be honorable in those situations as we continue. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So as far as it depends upon you, you're going to do everything in your power you're going to do everything that you can to live in peace with your family, to live in peace with your coworkers. In other words, you are going to do your part. If it's to forgive, then it's to forgive. It's to, if it's to apologize, then you're going to apologize. Whatever it is, at the end of the day, you're going to be able to go to bed at night with a clear conscience and say, I've done everything that I can in this situation to make it right. And I feel confident And my my conscience is clear tonight as I pray and as I go to bed tonight. I've done everything in my power to make this right. Now listen, if you do that and you can sleep well at night, I'm telling you, that is a peaceful place to be. So let's get to some practical ways that you and I can, can really flesh this passage of Scripture out in our life. How do you and I become peacemakers in our life? If we want to honor God by making peace in our families and bringing peace into our homes, number one, if you're taking notes, is to tell the truth in love. Tell the truth in love. Now, the first thing that I think of when I see this statement, tell the truth in love, is the person that loves to share their opinion and doesn't have a problem sharing their opinion. And they do so in an arrogant and really kind of brute fashion that offends people. And I'm just going to tell it like it is kind of person. That is not what I'm talking about. The key word for that person is in love. Okay, so we're not just sharing our opinion and telling it like it is. We're going to share the truth in love. Let's look at this verse together. It's Ephesians four fifteen. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So in other words, if we are going to grow up in our faith, then you and I have to learn to speak the truth in love. Part of becoming a peacemaker is growing closer to Christ. It's growing up. It's maturing in our faith. Part of maturing and growing and becoming a peacemaker is speaking the truth in love. We want a Christ-centered home. Most of the time, instead of speaking the truth in love, we speak the truth and yell it, you know. You left your clothes on the floor again, you know. You missed your curfew, you know. And so it's this yelling and and, and over-the-top anger that comes out. He says to speak the truth in love. Now, how do we speak the truth in love? Uh, A couple of things really quickly. Like if you want to speak the truth in love, first of all, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, do it in a time of non-conflict. So when there is a a, a time of non-conflict, That's when you work on the issues. The time to work on the issues is not when your spouse is bending over, taking their shoe off to lodge it at your face, all right? That's not the moment to bring up a new issue. Honey, I was also thinking about our whole... No, that is not the time. What we do is when everybody's calm, when everybody's in a a good state of mind, you know, we can sit down and we can say, hey, I've got an issue that I'd like to talk about. And during that non-conflict time, we're able to begin to share the truth. And so non-conflict times... Share the, the Begin to share the truth of, of where your heart is. And then secondly, we attack the issue. We don't attack the person. We attack the issue, not the person. A lot of times what we end up doing in marriages especially is like when, when there's an issue or a problem, you know, we attack the person. You're a jerk. You're selfish. You're an idiot. You're inconsiderate. Uh, inconsiderate. So we, we, you know, we name call and we say these things, which is attacking the person, not the issue, and so that is a huge uh, item to, to understand. So if you're name-calling, if you're yelling a lot, if there's a lot of back and forth, blaming, you're never going to get to the real issue of your marriage or your problem. The issue is not that he's a jerk. The issue is that you don't feel like he's listening to you when you're talking, And so if that's the issue, like when I'm speaking, you're watching TV, you're on your phone, you're doing all these other things. And the issue then, you know, in this example is that I don't feel like he's listening to me. Therefore, I don't feel important to him. That's the issue. Let's talk about I don't feel important. Not you're a jerk or you're whatever because you're not listening to me. It's not the issue. and, And so the issue is not, guys, that she's not physical enough with you. That's not the issue. I mean, yelling at her, you know, crit- criticizing her because, you know, the bedroom isn't what you want it to be and, and you know, you're going to be sarcastic and one-liners and digs and make fun in front of people. I mean, that is, first of all, that is not encouraging her to take a trip to Victoria's Secret, by the way, all right? But secondly, it's not getting to the issue. The issue, could it be, guys, that if that's not where you want it to be, is that you feel unloved. I don't feel like you love me because this is happening. Now, that is the issue. Now, let's talk about that. Because I hope your heart in your marriage is that I don't want her to feel unimportant. I don't want her to feel not valued. I don't want her to feel unloved. And, and, and my, my hope in, in, you know, in a Christ-centered home, this is our hope. Like I don't want her and she doesn't want me to feel that way either. And so... Non-conflict times, attack the issue, not the problem. So here are a couple of helpful statements that might get you going and get you thinking in the right way. So to get to the issue. So for instance, when you don't listen to me, I don't feel important. Okay, so that gets us to the issue. Here's another one. When you lie to me about insignificant things, I find it difficult to trust you. so we get to the issue. You're lying about little things like this that that make me think, well, are there larger things? So I'm not going to call you a liar, liar, pants on fire. I'm going to say when you do this, it makes me feel like I can't trust you. And so trust is the issue there. And that's what we want to get to. I don't want to attack him or her. I want to get to the issue. When you continue to check your phone at the dinner table, (laughs) I feel a God moment coming on. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, put down your phone at the dinner table in Jesus' name, right? So it's like we, when, we, when we check our phone constantly and we're doing that deal, then it makes us feel, the rest of us, like we're not important and like you don't want to be here. And that's the issue, okay? Um, and so we want to get to the issue. I read a, a survey, a big study that's just been released. Uh, actually, just this week, and um, what they did was they were they were observing parents in restaurants who were on their phones with their children, and what they found was that parents that tended to be more on their phone during dinner that had children lashed out in anger at their kids way more often um, than those who were not on their phone. Now, all in guilt, uh, all guilty say. Uh, and let's just move on, right? Okay, so we've all kind of been there. So put down your phone and, and let's, let's begin to, to be in the moment with our family. So first and foremost, we want to speak the truth in love. Secondly, peacemakers also apologize when they're wrong. They apologize when they're wrong. Now, I know you're looking at these things and you're thinking, Trent, I really was hoping for a deep theological-like truth today. But listen— This is so biblically sound and powerful and theological. Like if we don't grasp our minds around stuff like this, then then nothing else in the Bible can really begin to take root. If you want to be a peacemaker in your home, you've got to realize that you must apologize when you're wrong. Let's look at this verse together. James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So listen, what would it look like in your marriage, in your homes, if you actually apologized when you were wrong and then you prayed about it together? Honey, I am sorry that I did this. I offended you. I hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Can we just pray about this together? I'm telling you, that one example, if you would do that you want to talk about peace coming into your families? Dads, what if you did that with your kids? Son, man, I'm, I'm really sorry that I raised my voice and I was so angry. I just lost my cool. I apologize. Will you forgive me? Can I pray with you about this? Oh my, are you kidding me? You want, you, you want to see a child's life begin to change? Let them see a father who asks for forgiveness, you know? Let's see, let's see men at home asking for forgiveness on a regular basis because we need it just about every day, you know, to our spouse and, and, and even to our kids. If we begin to model that, I mean, what would it look like? Would our kids, in fact, begin to pick up on that? Would our, our wives begin to pick up on that and follow that same lead? I believe that they would. How do we do this? How do we apologize when we're wrong? A couple of things to think about. First of all, we want to admit to specific actions without excuses. Okay. So if you're going to apologize, truly apologize, then you're going to admit to certain specific actions and, and not give any excuses. So here's an example of what not to do. Honey, I am sorry that I offended you, but you know, you did this and you did that. So, you know, just, just saying, you know. It's like that is not an apology. Anytime you are apologizing and you use the word but, it is not a true apology. Young people, remember this. This will save you in the future. When you are apologizing to mom and dad, when you are apologizing to, you know, anyone in a relationship, do not ever say, I am sorry, but, because what that does is it just null and voids the apology. We call it deflecting. In in the counseling world, it's deflecting. I'm sorry, but I'm going to deflect off this guilt that I'm beginning to experience for this half a second and put it back on you because it's actually your fault that I said that or that I did that. And that never works. That is not an apology. So when I I confess or when I apologize for something, I want to say I'm sorry for and fill in the blank. What was it? You know, what is it? You know, we don't want to. so, So this is the hard thing because it is so hard for us to admit when we're wrong. So often we want to just say, I'm sorry, and leave it there. You know, we don't want to go any further. It's like, well, wait a minute. What are you sorry for? You know, what are you, what are you asking for forgiveness for? Well, you know. No, I don't know. You tell me, you know, tell me. What is it that you are sorry for? Well, I'm just sorry for being a bad husband. Well, no, 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 That's not even good enough. Why are you a bad husband? Well, because I cussed you out, I guess. I don't know. What, what is it? We want to get to that. Why is that important? It's important because we need to understand and identify the sin in our life. If I'm going to give a blanket survey of all the wrongs that I've, you know, I'm sorry for just being a bad husband. Well, I mean, that's a good place to start, but that's not really helping my wife heal through the pain of, of, of the things in our relationship that are wrong. We want to go to specific areas of our life. And, and, and that doesn't mean I've got to list all, you know, 3,000 of them today. But there's obviously going to be one or two that are specific. And we want to get to those specific things Ask for forgiveness. Now, this is, um, this is huge for us, too, because sometimes what we want to do is, is we want to be remorseful, not, um, re- not truly repent, you know. And so, so for us, we've got to realize that there's a difference between remorse and repentance, Remorse is I'm sorry, you know? And so a lot of times we're just sorry that we got caught. I'm sorry that I got caught doing this and so I'm sorry. Well, there's a difference between I'm sorry and repentance. Repentance is forgive me, you know? I'm sorry, please forgive me for this. So that word forgive needs to be a part of your vocabulary, not just I'm sorry. Um, for instance, uh, for I'm sorry is, is more like a mistake, not a sin, I'm sorry I left the toilet seat up. You know, that's a mistake. You know, um, I'm sorry I cheated on you. That doesn't really cut it. You know, I need to go. De- I need That's a sin. I'm sorry I lied to you. Well, I'm glad you're sorry and you have remorse about that. But are you truly repenting of that sin in your life? Then if I were, then I would be saying things like, will you forgive me? Now, I know that sounds simple, but why is that so hard for you men? Why is that so hard for us to admit when we're wrong? I remember my dad had a joke growing up. He would always, you know, say, th- I don't know where he got it from. Actually, I do. I just can't remember right now. But he would always say, guys, I just want you to know I was, And we'd be like, what, what are you? and then he would say he would he would do that for a minute and he would say i'm sorry i was wrong you know he could like he couldn't couldn't get it out and he was just joking but it's like so hard for us sometimes to actually admit when we've made a mistake and so there's a big difference here and i'm sorry is for mistakes and forgive me is for sin now number three number three peacemakers forgive and let go Forgive and let go. Now here's why this is so important. Because it's not just enough for me to have peace with other people. I mean, peace with other people is fantastic and I want that. But I don't just want peace with you. I want peace right here. I want peace right here and I want peace right here. And Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. So if I let Jesus in here, then I have the potential to have peace here and here and then here. So, so if we want peace, it's not just in relationships, but it's internally. And so that's where forgive and let go comes into play. Because if you're not willing to forgive someone who has hurt you and you're holding on to that, if you're not willing to forgive how they have wronged you, if you're not willing to forgive that pain that you've been experiencing for maybe years and years and years, then you're not going to experience peace in your life, which means peace out here. It's not going to happen either. Let me just give you, here's a little secret to look at people in a different light. When people aren't in peace here, in other words, when there's conflict here horizontally, I promise you there's no peace here because that's the way that it flows. Christ gives me peace here and then I'm able to extend peace here but if you are arguing and fighting and there's conflict in your marriage and your families, then right here is absent of peace. And so you've got to let Jesus in the room, okay? You've got to let Jesus in your life begin to experience this peace here. And a lot of that has to do with forgiving and letting go. Uh, the Bible speaks clearly to this all throughout Scripture. But let's look at Colossians 3, 12 and 13. It says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So, in our families, in our marriages, in our homes, we want peace in our homes, then we want to see compassionate hearts for one another, kindness for one another, humility, so I'm not always right all the time, meekness and patience with one another. And then look what he says in verse 13 bearing with one another. I love that phrase bearing with one another. I mean, because that's what it is a lot of times, because we're imperfect humans. I mean, we make mistakes. Your spouse is going to make mistakes. You know, your, your kids are going to make mistakes. But the scripture calls us to bear with one another. And that's what, that's what family really has to do, right? We've got to bear with one another. Let's continue. He says, if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If you've got a complaint against someone, he says to forgive them. Why? Because Christ has forgiven you. I don't know about you, but in my life, Christ has forgiven me for way more than I can ever comprehend. Things that I, 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 I don't deserve that forgiveness. There's nothing I've done to earn that forgiveness, but he has freely given that forgiveness to me. So if Christ has forgiven you, which he has, then we're to extend that same forgiveness to others. That's our motivation. That's where our heart is. That's where we know and understand that Christ is working in us because we're beginning to embrace the idea of forgiveness in others as we understand the forgiveness that He has given to us. Now, I know a lot of you, we've got to walk into this carefully because so many of you come in with so much pain. I mean, Maybe it was a betrayal of a spouse that that took place. And so, you know, there's just a lot of bitterness there. Maybe someone who should have protected you uh, didn't protect you and abused you as a young child. And so you're like, Trent, how can I forgive that person? I mean, that's just that I I can't even comprehend that. Maybe someone, you know, has has made fun or hurt you in in other ways. And so we think, how in the world are we going to be able to forgive them? And I'll just say it's not going to be easy. But it is definitely doable when Christ is the center. And when it comes to family, hear me say this. Family is worth it. Family is worth it. Your family is worth the little bit of tension and a little bit of awkwardness the conversation might bring if it brings you to Peace. It may be a little awkward to apologize. It may be a little awkward to bring up the past. But I promise you, if you are a peacemaker and you lay that out on the table and you begin to confess, and I'm sorry, and you don't throw in any buts, then you'll see God's hand and grace upon your relationships. Family is always worth it. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We show mercy as we've been shown mercy. And, and as followers of Christ, it's not just about blood relationships, our, our immediate family and extended family. It's about the body of Christ. Like in the body of Christ, we're called to be peacemakers as well. And so that means that we've got to learn to admit when we're wrong, forgive, let go, speak the truth in love. Um, funny story, we were at the mall this week and uh, Mike and I had a little date night. So we were at the mall and um, man, those leather chairs in the middle of the mall. I never thought I was going to be that guy sitting there. But dude, I spent like an hour there and it was awesome. And one of the things she was in, she was in, uh, she went to the restroom at one point and there was this girl in there and it was just funny. She just said she was in some kind of outfit and she just looked at Mike and said, hey, I'm sorry to bother you, but do you think this looks good? And Mike, <laughs> Mike looked and it was just like totally didn't match, totally was like off the wall, like not not a good outfit. And Michael was like, I, I just couldn't say any, I just said, yeah, it looks great. And I said, honey, you just lied, like bold faced lie. I'm talking about telling the truth in love and you're, you're lying. No, it's like, this is funny because we do that so often. Like instead of sharing the truth in love, you know we just we just make we just lie constantly about things and, and and so i believe god would call us to come to a place in our life where we can begin to share the truth in love and uh, as we close this series i just want to um, just kind of remind you of some things that we've talked about and just have an opportunity for us to just bow and pray and seek God. Because I know as we talk about forgiveness and all of these issues that begin to rise up in your heart, it's like there's no way, Trent. There's no way I can let this go. There's no way I can forgive. And, or, or maybe you say something like, well, I forgave back in 19-whatever, but you still think about it and it's still in your heart, it's still in your mind, and you, you're still bitter about it. it's like you haven't truly let it go. You haven't let it go. And as a result, there's no peace in your heart. And as a result of no peace in your heart, there's no peace in your families. And so I just wanna, I just wanna ask you a question as we close this series. Like what would it look like if you truly let Jesus in your house? What, what would it look like if you just imagine Jesus sitting on the couch when you go home today and you begin to have this conversation with your wife? You know, in that heated moment with your kids, in that heated discussion with your wife or your husband, like, could you just imagine and picture Jesus being in the room? How would that change and what would it look like if you really let him into your heart? If you really let him into your life, what would that look like and how would it change how you treat those Around you, Would you bow your heads and, and let's just begin to pray and, and think about this. Like what, what would it look like one year from today? If you decided to apply the principles that we've talked about over the last five weeks and, and said that you're going to build your house on the rock, you're going to be a Christ-centered home, and you truly let Jesus into your life. Like we're going to let Jesus come into the room. We're going to let Jesus come into the house. We're going to let Jesus come into the conversation. How amazing would your marriage and would your family and would your life change? See, the reality is when Jesus walks in, everything changes. Everything changes in your heart. Everything changes in your house. Everything changes in your relationships. And the reality is some of you have never experienced that change you're not walking with Jesus. You've never committed your life to Jesus. So you've not experienced that change, but when you let Him in, He changes everything. When Jesus walks in, every heart in your family starts to burn. When Jesus walks in, sickness starts to vanish. Every hopeless situation ceases to exist. And I know this, the dead begin to rise.